Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And I wish I treated myself half as well as I do my houseplants. I feel like that's that's the tagline for the pandemic, right? <laughs> like the affirmation, checking to make sure they have enough water, being in the sun, rotating. <laughs> really wish I would do that to myself. I've heard people who have named their houseplants after their friends. <laughs> have you heard this? No. This is a thing no! people are doing. So they... <laughs> They name their houseplants after their friends, and then they care for them and say nice things to them, (laughs) care for their plants. And then if there's (gasps) something wrong with the plant, it's like the energy of the world, and you have to check in with that friend to make sure that they're doing okay. I can't, because what happens if you and that friend have a falling out? What are you going to do with that That plant? plant is dead. That plant is dead to me. You're dead. (laughs) I'm just going to put that plant outside and let it fend for itself. That's what I was going to say. Very Diary of a Mad Black Woman just like torture the shit out of that plant. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. I'm I'm more into that idea than I thought I would be upon hearing it. So unicorns. Oh my goodness. Give it a shot. Yeah. Name your plants, but be careful. Speaking of being cautious, I don't know. Right. Take it, take it. All right, all right, here you go, here you go. Speaking of being cautious and aware with our friendships, today, mm. she landed it. Today, we want to continue our toolkit talk on sisterhood. This is, it's, you know, the two halves, pardon the pun, of the, of the same hole where our last full episode, we dived into BIPOC, women of color to women of color sisterhood and what that complexity looks like. I would really encourage you if you haven't listened to the episode yet, just take like a little break and go listen to it. Well, Danny, between Danny editing it and me reviewing it, I think there's some really great stuff in there. But as promised in that episode, we're going to crack in to BIPOC to white female white sisterhood that that complexity in bond so yes yeah yes so buckle up yep here we go all right (laughs) so where where did this even come from so why why are we dividing the two you know going back and forth because i think some people would even from the get-go say that that is a divisive way of talking about sisterhood Mm. and and i did i did consider that and i think with that, and I think with Danny and I's experience, where we have been the only person of color mm. amongst our friend group, mm. and what that looks like for us, you cannot help but think about the complexities and how you relate to each other differently. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically of even what's going on very much in these relationships being underneath the magnoscope with the lockdown and everything, we have to take a hard look at that. Us in this particular podcast world, not taking that time and admitting to ourselves that those relationships do look different it would be a misuse of our time <laughs> it would it wouldn't it wouldn't be real that's it's un, it's unreal to say that a woman of color with a white woman's relationship and sisterhood would not have its own complexities and would not look different yeah i think there's a couple of things in there that i want to yes, just please, like tease please, out please. a little bit mm-hmm. one you talked about both of us having experienced being mm-hmm. in in spaces or in friend groups where we're the only person of color we're going to get deep into some of those issues with it but I think the heart of it that you pointed out but didn't say 
Um, so I want to <laughs> want to give you credit for for saying this, <laughs> even though you did say it on the podcast. Um, is is it's it's tokenism, and it it can really weigh heavy on a person, even even if things seem great, and even if you love your friends, and even yeah. if you're happy with things. Like there is a certain level of exhaustion <laughs> that comes with being the token. Mm-hmm person of color in your friend group. So I think a lot of like, I'm sure that my white friends are unaware of this. <laughs> they yeah. might be listening and be like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's something that you definitely experience. And because the flip side of what we talked about last episode of that coin is like, you can show up to these relationships, these sisterhoods with people of color in a different way. Yes. Than the way that you show up with uh, your white friends. Like there mm-hmm. is a certain level of having to set the stage, give the context, paint the picture, the full picture before you can get into the details that can be incredibly exhausting. But I think there is, there is, of course, a lot of benefit to having cross-racial friendships. Mm. And as people of color, we tend to to bear the brunt of the hardships that are, while white people tend to reap more of the benefits almost. Mm -hmm. Is that divisive to say that? No, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, if that's divisive, what has the show been about? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's one of those things of once again, even if you heard that and you bristled, that's the exact thing that we're going to be really diving into is that admittance of what <laughs> how the outside world treats your friend will affect your friendship mm-hmm. and that there are systems in place that oppress those who you love and that will affect your bond and your relationship. And so I love that Daddy said reap the benefits of that because when we talked about sisterhood and the movement and uplifting and amplifying each other's voice and going against those oppressive groups, we're going to get into that. But being a woman of color, we don't get to separate those two. We are always those two. And we're constantly having to live within that reality of in those two separate kind of oppressed groups, as opposed to white women who the system is made for their whiteness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think part of this complexity, and we'll talk about it a little more in depth when we get to the article, which was in mm-hmm. our toolkit for this month. But in the article, it it points out that white women live in this interesting sphere where they have to experience what the author calls one up, one down Mm -hmm. identity. So while they are oppressed from being women, they also kind of take on the role of the oppressor by being white. What does that mean? And how does that weigh in relationships, particularly with women of color, is something that I don't think is talked about often Mm -hmm. enough, but something that's good for all of us to be aware of, because I think there's a lot of behaviors that we all take on in that situation. Because what choice do we have if we aren't talking about these things and laying them out (laughs) Mm -hmm. there? Like, we just have to act in a way that's, that's, the best way to defend ourselves and to care for ourselves yeah. in those situations. So I think that's that's a big part, too, of what we want to talk about today is like laying these things out there as a bridge, as a way of like building more authentic sisterhoods, relationships. And, and that's what it is. I think when you talk about things that are divisive, things that are going to make people bristle, even the title of our article of like, when white women cry, you know, it's I... We talk a lot about listening about our thinking about our listeners and how they can use the toolkit and thinking about the gut reaction that our sisters who are white, those are listeners who are white and like 
this at the end of the day is never meant to shame. It is meant to call it out, but it's ultimately designed for us to be able to build authentic, real relationships, which will then evolve into real sisterhood, which will then evolve in having real change and healing. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's and if if you're thinking this is to simply just to to bash and to shame, you're missing the whole whole point. And as we go forward, you're kind of seeing where some of those reactions are and some of those gut defense modes that we've kind of seen that could keep you from having a real developed meaningful relationship with your friends who who are women of color. Yeah. So I think we're going to frame a lot of this as speaking to our white co-conspirators, our white sisters. But I think any unicorns out there listening who are mixed race or unicorns of color, unicorns of color, people of color, women of Mm -hmm. color, I think you'll be able to relate to things. And then there's also always that gray area right like it's not all just black and white so i think like the first thing we're going to talk about is one of those things that really falls into that gray area and that is of checking your privilege right because that's also there's so much wrapped up in this idea of privilege and i love that the article simplifies it by by being like one up one down identity for white women and then women of color have this other thing but of course as with anything privilege is very complicated and there's Mm -hmm. There's levels and there's steps and there's different identities, right? Like we aren't as simple as just our gender identity and our racial identity, all sorts, right? Like, <laughs> yes, I think we all have privilege to check. There are certainly people out there who have less privilege. Mm-hmm. I think you're hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't have at least some form of privilege. Mm-hmm. And and this is something we have carried on through a lot of our episodes is that everybody has some sort of privilege. I mean, <laughs> like I said, hard pressed to find someone within that. And I think that's when beginning, I think any relationship, but we're putting it through the lens of specifically this topic. You have to check those privileges. That takes work. I think everything we talk about kind of will fall underneath these categories. So it's first things first, you have to kind of do those work and have those hard conversations with yourself of where have I had biases. So just even at the top, both Danny and I sharing that we have been the only person of color in the friend circles of just like even that of being like, I will always have numbers as as someone who's a white woman on my side, for lack of a better word. Like, I do not know what that's like to be to have that alone feeling to be in a room full of people and not see someone in that same uh, that just presents in the same way that, that I do. Mm. Or even admitting of just historically what female white femininity looks like is normally engaged into being pure and being the European style of beauty being highly regarded. Like just just acknowledging that even if you don't think of yourself as attractive, even as, especially as a woman, we have these oppressors against us. It's just that simple acknowledgement of historically these are the systems that have been put into place and where do I kind of line and where do I benefit? I love the example that they use in this and it's so precise is that there's that we're all like these fish on this journey and we're all trying to get there, but some have been put into streams that are going with the current and some are going against that. And I think you have to say what currents are, are my going into that are going my way and how can I acknowledge that where it might be going upstream for other people you're still on the journey but it's uh you have to kind of have those those moments of checks and balances you know and but it's work isn't it 
It is. It is. And I think you said something really good there, too, about privilege being about these historical systems or these larger systems. That isn't to say that as an individual, you don't have hardship in mm-hmm. your life. We are just looking big picture when we're talking talking privilege in this way. We aren't saying that you don't have struggles in your life. We aren't saying that things have not been difficult for you. And in fact, we're acknowledging it, mm-hmm. especially with this like one up, one down identity. Like we know that as women, we all live in a patriarchal society mm-hmm. and we all have experienced that. We're just saying that there are other experiences that have made it harder for some than others. Mm-hmm. That's the the key point right there, right? Of, of doing it to, to privilege, and so it was. Uh, I don't. We keep dancing around the article, so I think we're just gonna <laughs> dive yeah, in. dive Dan- in. Yeah, Danny suggested this amazing article that I think I've reread three times. It's been very applicable. It's, it's short. It's only it's, eight pages, yeah, so it's super short, but so dense with goodness. And I even just me, I have just learned so much of like, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. This has been oddly applicable in my life lately. The article itself is called When White Women Cry, How White Women's Tears Oppress Women of Color. And the article itself is really dealing heavily within higher education and uh-huh. like the institutions of higher education and specifically written for people working within that system and working in like academic affairs. And so that's that's kind of the context of the article. But I thought that it would suit us well um, for this topic nonetheless, because it does really point out the ways that white women might be oppressing women of color in unintended ways. Mm -hmm. And so specifically calling out the example of white women crying during a confrontation. And I... I think you would be hard pressed to find someone who hasn't experienced this. Mm. <laughs> I've been, you know, in situations where this has happened. I've been in companies where it was a reoccurring issue. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is, and they talk about it in the article, there is this idea of white women as innocent, as virtuous, as helpless. And as soon as the tears start, it's also like it's it's bringing that up. Mm-hmm. And while on the other hand, we have women of color who are often painted as angry black women, fiery mm-hmm. Latinas, unemotional Asian women, like all mm-hmm. these things. So I think it really when someone is trying to maintain their composure, when they're up against these tears, it just further reinforces these stereotypes. And that is part of the issue. So it changes the focus of the discussion Mm. to a role of being empathetic towards a person who is crying, a woman who is crying in this situation. I just loved the clarity in explaining what the issue is there. And I think it's also a very good example of even though we are all women, our behavior is taken in a different way, even if it's the same behavior because of our race. Like a, mm. a black woman or a Latina or an Asian woman are not going to be perceived the same way, even if they mm. start crying. Exactly. In fact, it actually could be more of a hindrance mm-hmm. once we actually allow ourselves to have that vulnerability and show in the tears. So what is this 
academic example, how does that translate into our sisterhood? The way I am putting it into is that when we talked a lot about vulnerability in our last episode with women of color to other women of color within our relationships of being Mm. able to, because we don't have to have the setup, because we don't have to explain who we are, we have this the straight shot into be able to kind of just get to like what I like to call like the meat of our relationships and being able to have those real in-depth conversations, being able to not only uplift and encourage, but able to call each other out as well. I think when I'm looking into creating a bond and a sisterhood, I want to be able to have someone who's going to challenge me on ways of thinking in a way that I know is loving and respect. And Danny and I shared that even on things that we don't necessarily meet eye to eye, I know that when she comes and corrects me or even just challenges me or say, "Uh, I'll push back on that. I know it's from a lens of being so for me and just nothing but love and mutual respect. And that's something I covet very closely. Yeah, but there has to be the foundation for that, right? You can't just show up and all of a sudden start doing that. Like there has to be a foundation in order to have that level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I, I also feel like going back to something we talk about a lot, cultural competency, Mm -hmm. I think within, within a lot of non white communities, I think the step to get to that level of vulnerability is higher almost Mm. i i think about my own community and i think about like new mexicans like often come off as like standoffish or like you know a a little like harsh maybe Mm -hmm. but i think like actually new mexicans are like super friendly and super welcoming and super like open and willing to share all the things but like you have to to get to that level exactly so i think that for me it takes work to get to that level where i'm like comfortable being vulnerable whereas i think like the example in the article is like there is this this level of openness for white women tears anywhere like it could be someone who you just met so i think that that's that's a key difference for me. It is. and But but within the, the confounds of, of, of our relationship, if I finally start getting to that place where I'm vulnerable and opening up to you within a friendship and I say, hey, you have said something or especially right now, hey, on social media, I, I just want to challenge you on something to maybe think about it in a different way. If you respond with tears mm. and with defensiveness that my guard goes all the way back up. And I've realized I have made a mistake that I, I, we did not have the closeness I thought we had. Mm. And so when I hear that, even in like in the workplace, in this example that they had right here, is that the woman of color who is bringing this issue in a very professional manner, when all of a sudden the tears started coming and derailed the entire professional meeting and addressing the heart of the issue of the woman of color, it was my gosh, like my heart just sank of thinking about, wow, she probably thought she was being very professional, that she was in a professional setting, that this was very more than reasonable. And she got completely shut down. And that's where I saw the parallels of very much of like, I have actually tried to establish real closeness and real depth in our relationships by drawing out something to you or bringing something to you in my life that pertains to my race, which a lot of it does because this is the life I'm living. Yeah. And it was met with either questioning or being having that that gaslit or me having to prove myself or not being believed or that like I said in some of the very intense scenarios that with tears and crying and defense that nothing will halt 
the deepening of a relationship, of not being able to have that, of not being able to challenge or to come with hard topics like, er, like that just, mm-hmm. it kills the mood. <laughs> like it's, it, it, it just kind of kills it dead. And that, that is tough. I, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure Danny, you've experienced it. Like when you, for me, I have had a few moments where I'm like, yes, I, I think this is a person I can trust and let my guard down and be my most authentic self. And it, I was wrong. And not only was it hurtful, it was scary. Because what I saw on the other side of that was someone who was just in a worse place than I thought when it came to issues of like race and gender. And it was actually, I was very, it was, it was really, really scary. I was, I was hurt and I was mad that I felt like I got it wrong and I let my guard down. And especially what was been going on that to where in person people can be one way, but because our whole life is now lived on the internet, I saw people in a whole new way and I, it was very scary and that is hard. That's a hard thing to process. Yeah, no, I I think we've we've all experienced it to different degrees, I think, because I mean, and I find and part of it is also just my personality. Like mm. I I feel like when I am faced with those sorts of things, like it's it's easier for me to deflect and make it about the other person rather than having to address my reaction. Mm. So if somebody, if I bring something up to someone and they come back at me with their defensiveness, I find myself naturally like deferring to their defensiveness and like Mm. comforting them. And I think (laughs) it's in part my personality, but in part like the system in which I've grown up in, like all of a sudden, like my concerns are less important because I wasn't emotional about them. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, can we just, we can serve that. That is, that is so true. And I think once again, it goes back to like that, that cultural competency. If you're not aware of how women of color have been treated within the confounds of our society and showing their emotions and addressing these hard issues. And the fact that we are confronted with these things. So we have had to put in the work to take the time to process them in order to not react emotionally every time that yes. something comes up. So like I've done this work and I'm able to talk about these things without breaking down Mm. into tears so that somehow makes my feelings less valid somehow (laughs) girl uh, you already know for me having to go to fighting against being the mad black woman like the years of training being able to hear things that are offensive hurtful pointing out issues that are in my mind very blatant and but be able to say it in a way that's well-spoken, articulate, and cool-headed, because that's what I've been groomed. It's grooming, groomed to do, but still being penalized for it. It is a very helpless feeling. And that's where we talk about with our white co-conspirators. We want to take you out of that place of defense and arm you in a place of being able to receive that, to be able to be empowered to receive that for growth. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't that much be, wouldn't be the excitement of growth be a lot better than being in a place of defense? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And and I understand. Like yeah. it's it's easy to get defensive. Like it's easy. <laughs> like it's a normal gut reaction and that's fine, but all we're saying is like there is work that can be done to push back on that. Like, similar work on the other side that a lot mm-hmm. of women of color have already unwillingly <laughs> had to do. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't a choice, but 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. The article does a really great job also not only having those like specific examples and explaining what's happening within those examples, but also has some really practical steps uh, towards the end of the article mm. on on how to get to that point. So talking about remembering the goal of the conversation. Ooh. And so that takes a certain level of like checking your own emotions and thinking about, no, what? why are we here? Why are we talking about this? Instead of having assumption observations, having really specific observations. So like not saying, Tamika, you're really angry. Like that is not <laughs> like... <laughs> That is not helpful. Um, The way to make Tamika angry is to tell her that she's angry. Yeah, but I could say, oh, but when I said this, Tamika, I noticed you raised your voice in response. And then that invites more conversation. And that's a very specific thing. And I'm not making necessarily a value judgment about your emotions. I'm just pointing out what I am seeing in order to have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that also pushes against this idea that things are just like mysteriously happening. Like yeah. all of a sudden, D'Amika was angry and I don't know why. Exactly. Like, <laughs> what are you talking? What do you mean? The system is broken. Like yeah. I had nothing to do. Like, yeah, I, I love that. And I think making, but I think also dealing with the thing of separating yourself from the system of what's being called out as well. Like being, having an issue addressed or being called out I, I hate to tell you this is so much bigger than you. Yeah. You may be Once the again, Going back yeah. to that idea of privilege, right? Yeah. We're talking about things larger than the individual. Exactly. Exactly. And I think make, make sure we're separating ourselves from that larger issues, acknowledging what we're taking place in that and what part we have in that, but ultimately saying, wow, I have taken part of that. I want to then be armed, like I said, and be, be corrected and be strengthened, encouraged and taught to fight against those well like how can i how can i do that if you're not first if it's first not brought up so it's it is a process but like i said you have to kind of want that a couple of the other things it mentions as specific tangible steps are recognizing privilege not only as social identity but also that there are normalized behaviors that have to do with those social identities. So once again, like the white women crying is is an example. Like there are behaviors that are privileged in certain groups of people. So like crying, using a lower tone of voice, uh, having direct eye contact, right? Like those are, are behaviors that are privileged within white mainstream society. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might have certain behaviors that are punished. So like anger, was when we already talked mm-hmm. about raised voices and indirect eye contact, right? Like, I think the indirect ki- eye contact is a very tangible example, uh, yes. especially in New Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, because there are a lot of indigenous groups in which direct eye contact is actually disrespectful. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> like, indirect eye contact isn't a sign of disrespect the way it is seen in white society for some reason, but is actually like a deferential, like, respectful behavior. So I think there's the mirror, right, of both like having cultural competency with who you're dealing with, but also shining that mirror on privileged society and what Mm -hmm. behaviors are privileged within that society. Well, I love even like using the example of the indirect eye contact. If you are actually using these steps and say, I'm noticing you're not making direct eye contact with me. 
yeah. in this conversation. Someone can say, actually, like, look how that opened the door. Actually, what I believe in within my indigenous group that is disrespectful. So I'm actually trying to show you respect within this conversation. Yeah. Boom. Because Boom. no one, yeah, look Fucking, at that. <laughs> things are clear. Things didn't are clear. You have to have a master's degree in indigenous studies. Like, if yeah. you're like, you know, you didn't have to take defense that I didn't know that. There was this simple just calling out what you are seeing because you're not expected to know everything. But you are expected to participate in a way that is, like I said, amplifying, especially in a sisterhood. I think that's what's even like, all this is in a very academic setting. But what makes it feel like it should be very much applicable within a sisterhood. Why would you not take that extra step of, I'm hearing this raised tone of voice. I'm seeing you're having a hard time keeping you know eye contact i'm seeing your body language i'm seeing this because hopefully we've had times together that have been very joyous so this is not like you i'm giving you that benefit of the doubt i am choosing to believe you i am you know because i've built this friendship with you i am noticing things that are are different and going into that and keeping those doors open these are all things of just keeping doors of communication open But once tears come in and once you are angry those are all closed doors those are ending conversation points Yeah. Yeah. This last point has to do with all of that that you just Mm -hmm. said. Um, The idea of understanding race and actively healing racism are connected, Mm. but they are different things. So I think within confines of a friendship, a sisterhood, a relationship. It's one thing to do the work to understand race and racism. It's another thing to be actively healing that within your relationship. So taking the steps is just as important as putting in like the internal work. Mm. But Danny, my white friend says she does not see me that way. Mm, She doesn't see race? No, not even a little bit. Or if she does see race, just not when it comes to you. Ooh, I don't know. It depends on the day and depends on the topic. You know, I, I don't I don't even consider you black. Oh my God. girl, I would be able to pay for this house if I had a buffalo nickel. <laughs> Honest, honestly, if I if I had if I had a dollar in sterling silver for every time I've heard people I either I don't think of you or as white. I get oh, I forget that you're Hispanic, Danny. Oh, <laughs> Like, cool. I never forget. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying. It's so hard not to do generalizations, but I was like the the working title for this should be like what your one black or brown friend wants to tell you and your friend group. This is yeah. one of the things of like, it is once again, part of your privilege to whitewash me. Exactly. In the friend group, whether you re- like I said, I-, I don't believe people do this maliciously. No, it's- no, but it's not. It's not. That's part of your privilege to do that like i can't i can't brown you up i can't i can't, right. I can't do that but you can but you can do that to me and yeah. i'm like this no. is gonna hurt your feelings but i never forget that you're white yeah and there's no <laughs> and there's and the thing is like there's, there's nothing wrong like i said i have beautiful beautiful women who are white who i love and who i trust very mm-hmm. very deeply but i cannot i do not separate your whiteness from yeah. you and I don't think I, sh- I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, does it affect how I treat you on the day? <laughs> like that is, when I look at you, that is part of your packaging. Yeah. That plain, plain period. 
This is what the kids are saying. It colors your life experience. Exactly. And we've talked about this before. Race is a social construct. But yes, it's a social construct. And it defines the way that people treat us Mm -hmm. within society. So like being part of the dominant culture, it's your privilege to forget about those constructs because the system was designed for you. Mm -hmm. The system was not designed for your one BIPOC friend. (laughs) And by saying that you're just like us or like you fit in or, you know, I don't see that about you or I forget, you're erasing Mm -hmm. a part of their experience. It is. And within a friendship, especially in a sisterhood, everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be seen. And it goes back to that desiring closeness with people. Mm. How can we have a closeness when you don't see me? When you when you don't know that my whole life yeah. I have been taunted for my hair and made fun of me. Like when that's such a, a huge part of what's going on in my life. So I know you know not to do that to me. <laughs> yeah. like, but how, like even yeah. even if you had not been made fun of for your hair, Damika, mm-hmm. the fact that there are certain values within society that have been put on on hair being yeah. a certain way, like yes. even if you did not have that experience in your mm-hmm. life, I would still be robbing you of something if I would deny that. If I would say, "Oh, I I forget that your hair is different, Tamika." Like mm-hmm. That, I don't, yeah, I, and I don't understand, and this is, this is calling out, calling out our white sisters out there, but like, I don't understand, is that supposed to be a compliment? I don't, like, it's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, this was not a golden ticket, this is not what I have, and I love you, but that, that's not it. That is not like I didn't reach like nirvana of our friendship. If you feel like you should include me in saying that you don't see me as that. Yeah, it's not our goal. To be honorary white people. Girl, say it. The world isn't going to show up for us yes. as honorary white people. I don't get a card <laughs> when I get pulled over, been like, oh, no, no, but my friends. I have white say, friends. Yeah, my white I, friends. My Yeah, they all say that I'm real fun. I make a great potato salad. Like, they don't yeah. say that. They, they, I don't get that in in my life, and I say that with as much love as I as I can. Like, I don't, I don't need that in in my life. That yeah. that actually also that works out for you because then you get to treat me with your oh, but Demika's fine. So when you see someone like Brianna Taylor, yeah, be shot in her home. Oh, but that would never happen to my friend Demika. Because you've given me this honorariness and within that there's that safety and I would never do that. That would never happen. So I, you don't have to be outraged in concern. I feel like true empathy, mm-hmm. true sisterhood. Like wouldn't your mind go to that could happen to my friend Jamaica yep. and like break your fucking heart? Break your heart. Like I'm getting all worked up just yeah. talking about it. But that, that, that's what that, like that's what I don't understand like when you say that you don't see it. It's like you then you can't advocate for me and I need you. Like, that's the messed up part, too, is that, like, uh, this whole episode, my siblings were ragging on it and not saying it. Like, we we separated this into two parts because you need both. Like, I don't want my friend group to be an echo chamber. I don't want it to just be this homogeneous oatmeal. I want want all of you in it. Not because, I, you know, it's the flavor of life, because I also, I need you. 
Right. Yeah. That's like. Well, and that's sisterhood, right? Like being able to lean on each other. Exactly. And you have position and power, privilege and influence that I will never have. (laughs) At least that's how I feel sometimes. And I, I need you to see me and I need you to hear me and I need you to believe me and I need you to know me. But yeah, but you have to do the work, and you have to see. Like I said, come on about that 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 a uh, proverbial closet. Like I'm, I'm a I'm a mixed black woman, and I feel like as a mixed person, we do get glumped into the category a lot. At least that that's my experience. I don't want to speak for our other unicorns, but we we do get emails of people saying like I'm the only person of any kind of color in in my friend group and how alone they feel and why they turn to podcast or why they do this so that way they can have some of that community. And um, that it's a, can be a bit of a lonely road. So we need you to see us. Yeah. And we say this, we, we, we want to put this out there. We want to do this process. We want everyone to like, take this journey and we want it to be not rooted in guilt. Like, we aren't here yeah. <laughs> to, like, amplify your white guilt. <laughs> but yeah. rather remind you of the power that you have. Like, this should feel empowering to yes. you. Like, this is an opportunity. It is not about, like, making you feel bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about, no, these are the things that you can do to help lift everyone up. Exactly. To have these meaningful relationships. And and don't you want that? Like, we're actually not saying, like, screw you, figure it out. We're saying these are the ways to get in, to come closer and to have that because it can be so fulfilling and so enriching and so healing. Like, that is part of a person's personal healing. And like you said, being mm-hmm. able to rely on their sisters. And you are part of that. Like, don't you want to be a part of that? I want to be a part of your experience as well. I'm not going to ever pretend that someone doesn't have trauma and issues. All I'm saying is I need you to come alongside me because this is something I'm walking and living in every day. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those, some more of those tangible steps. Um, (laughs) So believing your BIPOC friends when they choose to share their experiences. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think it's also not BIPOC women's job to have to prove their experience to you. Mm, yeah, I, I don't. I got filed in the store today. Re- no, really? That doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen. Girl, girl, yeah. <laughs> like, that that one right there that one's a that one's a tough one having to having to prove your own existence. I think also it's also not your BIPOC friends job to educate you Mm. i just yeah like i think we talked about that with tokenism like the weight of that that's part of the weight of feeling like you have to do all the all the educating as well that yeah that's not it yeah but on that the other end of that too is like just because you have a bipoc friend doesn't mean that you understand the bipoc experience Mm. like just like that you know being being in the glow doesn't like make you an honorary <laughs> yeah. BIPOC or it, it doesn't like give you the full picture because I mean, human beings are, are multifaceted, complex characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can't, I don't think we can ever entirely understand someone else's experience anyway. No. And so the fact that you might think, oh, no, I understand what it's like because I have a black friend or I understand what it's like because I have an indigenous friend. Like, no, you understand like 
this sliver that you have seen. Mm-hmm. Like, there is other work that needs to go into it to be able to really understand that experience. And you might never completely understand that experience. Mm-hmm. But I think, but it, it could almost feel like, but then, but then why, right? Why with all the mm-hmm. work of the, it's so difficult. Um, part of the other part of our toolkit is a really short a PBS video that I actually picked because the one giving is writing a, uh, writing a great book that I can't wait to get a hold of. And um, let's see, we're not like that. It doesn't come out till fall. So maybe we might read that and do like a book review of it. But in this video, she's basically talking about once again, about being the only person of color within her friend group, but talking yeah. about why it's so important to have that. And it I think it just really leans back to the heart of being able to have empathy. I do have some amazing white female co-conspirators and let me tell you y'all give me life i i I love you out there but there's still you can read all the books you can watch all the movies but there's still something about having that personal real tangible person like we talked about with the with brianna taylor like when these things happen you have that intimacy you have that little that little sliver that got like these little windows into someone else's life that you can physically see and be able to flex those empathy muscles and be able to do that i think it's just so easy especially like i said for my beautiful white co-conspirators out there for you to be able to have a friend group that looks like you and echoes you but you're missing 75 percent of white people don't have any non-white friends yes I'm going to continue to spew that fucking statistic all the time. Exactly. Because because I think it's it's really easy to forget that. Mm -hmm. You'd be hard pressed to find like a person of color who doesn't have a white friend. But Mm -hmm. it's easy to find a white friend who doesn't have any or only has one. But Danny, I've grown up in the rural Midwest. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. If only. If only there was... There was technology that allowed you to connect with people all over the world. That's like some Star Trek stuff right there. It is like some Star Trek. No, but I think it goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode. It's like being intentional, Mm -hmm. right? Like making those steps. And that isn't to say that you are tokenizing or exoticizing or like going up to the first like woman of color you see at a function and like (laughs) okay oh my god you're my best friend like that (laughs) i mean has that happened to you Damika? maybe we'll talk about it off air (laughs) yeah but i feel like you know sometimes there is that desire to just Mm -hmm. like be like i'm not gonna gonna be friends with you because you know you fit a checkbox for me Mm -hmm. but like that that's not what i'm saying but i what i am saying is like put yourself out there in situations where there is the opportunity Yes. To, to meet people with different life experiences than you. And perhaps it's around like a common, a common thing that you mm-hmm. enjoy. Like it could be music. It could be different art forms. It could be like pop culture. It could be all these things. There's like groups and meetups and things. Yes. And it's easy to like put yourself out there and find people who have a different experience than you find common ground where you can connect and authentically build a relationship it's just the same way you build any relationship but Mm -hmm. i think so many of our relationships are forged out of school or work Mm -hmm. that convenience yeah convenience and i think oftentimes for people that means being surrounded by people who look like you so the challenge is putting yourself out there exactly 
And but you, you like the thing is we can tell you to do that, but that's you. That's like yeah. your conscience. Do you have to do that? You have to be willing to put yourself in places to where it's like I'm gonna actually have to work to make some common ground, or even better yet, see that person in their totality, but most importantly, see them in their humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That takes work. That and yeah. that's something. You, but how do we do the work? As we say over and over again, it's like an exercise. I hate to tell you this, you're gonna get it wrong. How can I tell my people, like, you're probably going to say something off color in quotation marks. You're probably going to say something offensive. You're probably going to get it wrong. But I think the difference is the the friends I have who can take that, learn from that, and we can grow together in that. Or when I've been called that, I'm like, whew, I want to can take that. Let me tell you, there is nothing. It feels like leveling up in a video game. It feels like, ooh, we have reached like a level. It's nice here. I I like this. I really, really do. I will say, though, I do a lot of calling out or calling in, depending on the situation, right? But there is a lot I let slide. (laughs) So... She does. She does do it. I can't imagine what she keeps in this. I hope you're keeping a journal. That's that's the, that's got to go somewhere, girl. Yeah, yeah. I'm here for it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But it, it, it's it's so important. It is. You you have to get out of your comfort zone. You are never going to understand full empathy of the I, I, to be dramatic, like of the human race. If it's only confined to the people who reflect your own reflection, and yet that just grieves me to think that people have that reality. Let's grow! Isn't that what uh, we're all here for? Yes. That's what I'm here for. And we're speaking so passionately because we're talking specifically to women who we understand. Like, if you're looking at how do I connect with that that woman of color, you're both women. <laughs> and you have both faced a system that is that's been the knee to the patriarchy. Start there and like, my goodness, how can I uplift that woman? And that woman's like, how can I uplift you? No, no, girl, how can I uplift you? And how can we do that? Like this, you know, we're talking in broad strokes, but back to like the heart of the issue is that sisterhood. And when we have that combination together, deck on it, we're going to be dangerous when we have that. When we have that true, authentic, you come as you are. Let's stop having to explain half of our lives to each other. Let's get to that healing. Let's get to that amplifying. I'm not in competition with you. I'm not going to be defensive by you. I want to uplift you. Yeah. Woo! This this is it. I think it all, all goes back to something we spent so long talking about last time too. Intention. Mm. Make things intentional. Can we, I mean, it's still on the same topic, but could we shift gears a little bit and Mm. talk about recitative? Ooh, you know how much I love that almost as much as my inability to say it. It's like both. That's they're two very strong <laughs> things. This short story by Toni Morrison. That was so good. Did you enjoy it? Did you like I it? I did. Yeah, I really liked it. I read it when I was really sleepy. So oh no. <laughs> it was a little challenging, but it was it was really good. I mean, she's she's just such a lovely writer. Her, I know. Her writing is beautiful. I'm actually reading oh no, so playing playing in the dark. I just started it. Mm. Where she actually mentions writing this about talking about what is the removal of race from dialogue and mm. like race within literary thing. Oh girl. Like once again, it's not it's not a huge book because it's technically off a lecture, but it's so dense. So good. I can't I can't wait to finish it and then reread this through that lens. But the the premise of the story, it basically goes through two main characters, these two women, 
and through the different phases of life from going from like this group home kind of orphanage up to their later adulthood but the thing with this particular short story is you don't know which one is black and which one is white but you do know that they're yes one is one is each what as they say in the book one is salt and one is pepper yes I, like I said, I have read this a few times in my life, and every time I come back to it, I just, uh to write like this is beautiful. But the reason why I wanted us to read this during this time is that this is one of those exercises for us to start pointing out our own biases and how society has had us being able to shape how we view race, because we do view it. Because in this story, you have to kind of view it. You have to decide. You have to do the deciding on which is which. And then you have to look into those factors and work kind of backwards of what has made me decide who is who. I think it's just a great exercise of looking at that. Have you done any research? Has Toni Morrison said it all publicly? Who is who? Who's who? I know she talks a lot about like the removal of race and like Mm -hmm. the exercise of making it about these two individuals rather than race. Mm -hmm. I didn't look into if she had an answer. Mm. She, I, I, you know what? I, the research I have done is no, I don't think she has. I not like out, like outright, but of course I can always take a deep, another deep dive again, but I just, I don't think in any of her other writings that I have read or her lectures that she has come out and said, so-and-so is this and so-and-so is that. I really don't think so. So. All right. Well, Tamika, I like, I want the reveal <laughs> of who is who in your yeah. mind. You know, I don't, you mentioned like, you're like, you feel like one is more obvious than the other. And I'm just like, I know, but that I think, I think Twyla is white. Really? Yeah. And I'll tell you, I want to hear what you think. And I can tell you how, and I just came to this conclusion just recently of why I think that. I think. Okay. Um, so who, who do you think? Well, I, I think it's the opposite. I think mm-hmm. Twyla is black. And I think there are some things that point towards Roberta being black. Mm-hmm. But uh, I feel like they're red herrings. Mm. Um, because for me, I feel like the biggest the biggest thing that colors my opinion is the busing. The school busing. Mm. And see, to me, I thought that was trying to be a red herring going back and mm. forth. I think I was, I, I keep going back and forth of why, because I, I have read it with t- intentionally viewing both. I'll read it with one way or the other and then do the inverse purposefully. And I'm just like, okay, what is in my thinking? And this is something, once again, having that mixed experience. My mom was one of seven. She grew mm-hmm. up very, very poor. And I was telling my husband, I think hearing about my mom's life and also just in other instances in my life where I've been around people who have been poor and white, their experience being very is being slightly different than who I would consider to be middle class white. And I yeah. saw a lot of those references of poor white within that and also even the privilege of not being aware of what was going on mm. in the bus route issue i thought that was a very it felt like a very privileged view because that that would trip me up that one really 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 tripped me up like that that was i feel like and maybe you're feeling the same way that was kind of the linchpin because there were other things i had no problem of viewing like between you know twyla's mother dancing and roberta's mother being very religious to me i'm like i think i see religious religion and being very religious or the ignoring of mental health uh that being very classified in a black construct you know but i so- think i think it's the a similar thing because it's mm-hmm. also like poor white 
that's it's the same mm-hmm. same sort of um thing so they're heavily religious ignoring mental health mm-hmm. um and so early on i was like twyla feels like she's black but i was like maybe you know like you're just being set up to feel that way and mm-hmm. it's going to be like a, a flip especially with like Roberta's mother, like, not wanting to talk to them, not wanting her daughter to be friends. Even Roberta being like, my mother would not want me to be friends with you. Mm -hmm. Felt very, very, like, that way. And I was like, oh, I think, you know, this is all setting me up to feel Mm. the other way, like, to to flip it on its head. But then I was like, no, actually, I think think this is is where, where the story is going. To me, the red herrings were things like Roberta's hair being described as big. Uh Um, Her mother being described as religious, I felt like was also a red herring. But I don't know. There is something, too, about, like, Roberta marrying up felt very white dream to me. (laughs) Mm. But that's the thing, too. I think that would be the very unexpected in realizing and thinking about how Toni Morrison writes for women and women of color. Like, her even going to the Jimi Hendrix and not wanting to speak to Twyla, Twyla having marrying a fireman, which I'm just like, no black people are running into any kind of fire. <laughs> and talking about that relationship, even with her father-in-law kind of putting around and that that closeness and her relationship with her sons. And it didn't have that same kind of familialness with it and thinking of the context of the time of that there are mm. these pockets of, like we talk about Black Wall Street and that there were these pockets of well-to-do mm-hmm. people of color and that, that flip and even that drive on her not being able to read as well, but then turning it out. So I'm thinking about how often young girls of color are ignored within the classroom and being set up to fail, but actually being very intelligent. And so there were these things of like, once again, you're like, I feel like I'm being set up, but I don't, but, but this is it. You have to, you, it makes you ask those questions. Back to the time of, of being in the diner and going to see Jimi Hendrix, like all of Roberta's flexing there felt mm-hmm. to me like very like a half woke white person. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I, because she was worried about the young woman kept thinking about in her mind, the young woman who she, well, that was mute and thinking and still having that, obviously that, that resentment and how nice it must be to ignore this person in that yeah i i i was um, maybe that's just like i said projecting like i what would i have done in that in mm-hmm. that and and seeing yourself through through that as well so i mean to me the other um big big push for twyla being black is because the story is written in her voice mm-hmm. and tony morrison does write <laughs> from yeah. the black perspective mm-hmm. so so that was my, my, like, that was actually probably my final linchpin in, mm, in my decision. That, oh, that is such a good point. I don't know. I have read it. I just, one of those things of when I look at it, when I read it, I keep, I keep seeing this very wide eyed white girl with this weird history with her mother and it's brought her into this shelled life where she hasn't understood the the racism where she's not great to understand the point of protesting and takes it all quite personally and very blue collar and i don't it's it, but it's beautiful but the thing is uh, i sit there like would i die on that hill 
no. Well, I, and I don't think, like, we've spent a long time talking about it because it's kind of, it's like an interesting thought experiment. But, like, that's not the point, yeah. um, anyway, of the yeah. story. Thank um, you. And I think, you know, the point of the story, and I'm I'm projecting a little because it was your choice to include it in the toolkit. But mm-hmm. I think the reason for including it in the toolkit and why it makes a lot of sense for me that it's included is because it really does illustrate there is that that gulf that feels like impenetrable between mm-hmm. people from different racial backgrounds. And even though they shared so much when they were young, even oh, though it was yeah. like a short time, it was a short time, but it was a very defining time for both of them in their lives. Mm-hmm. And they had a certain level of closeness, like just the world showing up in their treatment of these two girls and women that they become it's so different Mm -hmm. that like their paths are ever expanding even in these moments that they come together and i think in terms of today's topic it makes a lot of sense to read a work of fiction that that is able to illustrate that in a Mm -hmm. way that like data could not we could like Mm -hmm. throw around all this data and it it doesn't hit the same and so i think that's why this story is so important and why it's so great and also the when white women cry article it's also really short Mm -hmm. it's like something like 18 pages or something like that while it's it's fun to speculate about the race of of the Mm -hmm. two characters it's really it's really not the point of the story like I said, it's really meant to, I said, one of the things of in a place where we're trying to erase race, we're trying to be colorblindness. Mm. This is what you get. The world is still going to come in. It doesn't matter if you choose to do that. To erase that, you have to, you can't see the person in their totality. You couldn't see them, could you? Unless you actually assigned them yourselves because then everything else kind of loses its context and background and you're you're missing out. So this yeah. is a be- like you said that beautiful work of fiction. Be able to put what we've been talking about in in a way that only I think T- Toni Morrison can do. You know, it's yeah. just uh, beautifully done. I would also like um, to throw out a toolkit bonus Ooh, um, for those them. of you who've who've crossed all the things off your list. <laughs> Still, some days left in March. Got to dive into something. <laughs> the Dannys of the world. <laughs> The book that I wanted to throw out there as uh, an addition to the toolkit for this month is a book that I just finished, and maybe I'll do a. It's been a while since I've done a unicorn library I know. video. People are missing um, you. It was mostly because I was reading so many heavy things, and the world felt too heavy that mm. it. I didn't feel like that was adding to, to to the conversation in a way that I wanted to um, on our page. But I have a whole backlog of things that I can talk about. But this book, also a little heavy, but a really lovely book, is called The Vanishing Half and is by Britt Bennett. It was published last June, so it's a very new book. Yeah. And it, it, it follows the story of two twins, Desiree and Stella, who are from a small town. This is minor spoilers. They're from a small town that is for mixed people, um, yes! black and white people. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they kind of started their own town. It was started by, I believe, their great-great-grandfather. And the people of this town present largely as white. They are, like, so mixed, so far so far removed. Um, they present as white, but they're still considered colored. And so they want to leave this small town, and they do. And eventually what happens is they live 
very different lives. And even though they're they're identical twins, they are very different in temperament. They talk about throughout the story, like being able to tell them apart very easily because of the way they move, the way they present in the world. But one of them ends up marrying the black man, having this complicated experience, having a very black daughter. Mm. The other one meets and marries a white man and lives her life as a white woman. Her, her husband doesn't even know doesn't know her background <gasps> and they have a very white presenting daughter so it follows follows the the lives of the twins and follows the lives of their daughters oh it sounds so good it's so good it is so good and the intersections that happen throughout the years i highly highly recommend beautifully written book not not dense definitely like a, an easier read than tony morrison perhaps <laughs> who is lovely and beautiful, but writes this very like poetic language that yeah. sometimes can be a bit to wade through. This is a lot more accessible, I would say, but highly recommend. And when we're talking about, it's like literal sisterhood and how that manifests and, and their longing for each other. It's, it's good. It's good. <sighs> Oh, I'm like I'm excited. Like I haven't read it yet, so I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I'm yeah. I'm into it. Add it to the to read list. Yes, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> All right. So we've gone we've gone on a little long. Yeah. Let's go ahead and shift gears before we wrap up mm. um, and talk about our happy places. Let's do it. What is your happy place? I feel so little house on the prairie, but I shouldn't because it's it's nothing out of my, um, you know, we're crafty. We're a crafty crew. Sewing has been making me really happy. Yes! Mm, I'm into mm -mm. it. I love sewing. I like sewing. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay sewer. But I've had this whole thing of what I want. We talk about we don't like New Year's resolutions, but sometimes we'll have like a phrase or, you know, like, and it's like, for me, it's like love the process more than the product. Hmm. And I think for me, because I'm the big thing of like, if I can't get it done, like even with my artwork or things I commission, if I can't chunk out hours to just get it knocked out, I'm not going to start doing it. And that's like, in my life, that's impossible. I yeah. do not have hours upon hours. And so I don't know why it just hit me. Maybe because I've been unpacking stuff and I've been like, dang, I've got a stash of fabric of just sitting there and just saying, you know what, this is a great practice for me to just in my creativity, be able to enjoy the process. So one day I'm literally just reading the instructions. I have 20 minutes to do that. Or like, you know, while Mariah's taking a bath, let me just cut out the pieces and fold it back up and put it away. And the next, you know what I mean? And just like, it might take me a two weeks to do one thing but it's like how am I becoming more proficient in it how am I just enjoying these little breaks from the heaviness or from the work and just I am just like I want to get it done I want the thing I'm making I want the art to be done I want my project this whatever thing I'm working on to just be done in the creative world I'm like I'm just trying to enjoy the process a lot more so I've made a sweater hoodie dress nice. in a fuchsia felt <laughs> 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 nice nice and uh yeah and, and then i think also it also lends to like i think we talked about like our body type like i am short and i've got curves for your nerves and it is hard 
buying clothes. And so I think it's just like, it's as that dual like, kind but of, who yeah. even has a easy time buying yeah. clothes if we're being honest? I don't, I don't know. I, I went like, and, and I feel bad because I'm over here. Like I always have dreams of sewing clothes and doing, <laughs> but I'm like, I never have the time and mm-hmm. it feels so arduous to like, Take out the fabric, mm-hmm. like, like. But you're right. If you if you break it down into chunks, it's like totally doable. So I'm feeling a little called out here. <laughs> it's hard. No, I I feel you. I because the thing is, I want the garment. I want the yeah. thing. I want to wear the clothes. But it's like in life, it's like I have to enjoy this process more because that that's yeah. also part of the joy, and it makes you love the garment even more. So I had to do it for myself. I encourage you because you're actually really good. So, I don't know if I'd say I'm really good. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm I'm proficient enough. Mm-hmm. You'll I'd wear it outside, and that's and that's the key. <laughs> like that's how I can tell if someone's a good sewer. If would you wear it outside to the stove <laughs> to get milk? <laughs> yeah, about- but I mean, I have fond memories of us in high school with our like hand sewn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were, both, Taking, like, we were both so there. I, oh yeah. my goodness. Or just like taking it from like old costume closet. Sorry, Mr. Atkins. And like taking bits of this and bits of that and just making oh, yeah. it making it work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's still my aesthetic, but <laughs> what's what's making you happy? Yeah, um, mine's a little simpler. Mm. So I, as mentioned, am at a very busy time in, in my life right now. And the other day I was just like, I am so tired. Like, I cannot. I cannot. What am I doing? And so I literally went and laid down in my living room underneath the kotatsu. Kotatsu, for people who don't know, um, is like a Japanese table with a heater underneath it. And then like a, a futon, like a comforter mm-hmm. over it uh so it traps in the heat it is a necessity in my life since <laughs> <laughs> i lived in japan but anyway so i go into my living room i lay down under the kotatsu and i set my alarm clock for 15 minutes and i power napped and oh. i woke up and i felt like a million times better so i have yet to incorporate it regularly into mm. my life but i think that it is a beneficial practice at least it saved me that that one day so naps naps Ooh. are what's making me happy that sounds so good i mean can you say it again but slower <laughs> <laughs> right that sounds amazing. I think that's great. I think that's something like I think speaking of sisterhood that we we struggle with of like allowing ourselves to rest and just you know we we run on we are we are made of hormones and that's part of the rejuvenation like that is scientific and we have such a hard time allowing ourselves to rest. Yeah, it's true. All right, unicorns. We're going to go ahead and and wrap it up. We hope that you are Zooming with your sisters this month. If you do, please let us know. Also, let us know what you thought about this month's toolkit. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything additional you would add to the toolkit that we didn't cover. We always love to have more resources and more things. So definitely let us know. Let us know your your thoughts and feelings about all things, including sewing and napping. Yes. <laughs> so you can reach out to us all the usual ways by email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. We're also on the social media on Facebook and Instagram at biracialunicorns and on Twitter at biracialmagic. 
We want to give a huge shout out to the amazing Dolly Pop Art for our very iconic unicorn photo. Please go check out her stuff. It is everything. We also want to give out another huge shout out to the amazing Joseph Scott for doing our intro and outro music and also for the So Smith Photography who's done some lovely photos for us. So please go find them, stock them, support them. Do it. Do it. All right. We will be back. This is right, right? We're yeah. not missing anything? No. <laughs> like, oh. where? And then we can also say, like, please listen to our stuff and rate it and give us comments and let us know. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know to do those please, things. Please do those things. We would like those things. All the things. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will be back next week with a minisode and in two weeks with another full episode. And keep an eye out for our April toolkit, which will be coming out mm, soon. It's going to be good. It's going to be real good. All right, y'all. Peace. Out.